I want to uh, pick up in Romans chapter 5 right around verse 20 uh, and then jump into Romans chapter 6. I'm just going to look at the first couple of verses of Romans 6. We did cover this on Wednesday night, but I want to kind of land a little bit. Thank you, Daniel. A little bit um, deeper on chapter 6, verse 1, and particularly verse 2. Just so that you know, that's water, that's coffee. So, no, I'm not, I'm not uh, overindulging, if you will. I'm going to be reading to you out of the New American Standard. Beginning, beginning with verse 20 of Romans chapter 5. The law came in so that the offense would increase, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, so also grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? Far from it. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? So, Father, help us to wrestle with this question this morning. Help us to wrestle with the idea of when our sin increases, that your grace abounds even more, and yet we're commanded here not to sin, or not to live in sin so that your grace would not need to abound even more. Give us understanding, Lord. Give us clarity. Lord, fill us with your spirit that we may have ears to hear what your spirit would say to us this morning. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. We've been working our way through this passage, and it's, it's uh, I need some more coffee on this one. This is a tough passage. Um, and this idea of this interrelation between God's grace and, and the fact that, at least in my understanding of what this passage is saying to us, is that we can't outrun his grace. Now, to me, that's very comforting because Chances are, in my lifetime, if that was a possibility, I might have, at times, felt like I've exceeded that. I've known others that I've questioned whether they have exceeded that or not. And, and yet, it does tell us in chapter 5 that uh, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Uh, grace superabounded. Um, and it was it's really, in the language uh, that it is written in the Greek, um, it really is emphasizing this point that, that, that God's grace is super abundant and, and that the grace of God covers uh, our sins. And, and, and so Paul is anticipating another pushback. And that's why what we have in verse uh, 1 of chapter 6. And by the way, I would have kept these, these verses all in the same chapter, but nobody asked me. Um, so we have the chapter division, but, but nonetheless, um, Paul is in, uh, anticipating this pushback, and so he really is asking a rhetorical question. 
A rhetorical question is one of those uh, questions that normally have a very obvious answer to. For instance, is the sky blue? Okay, you could say not today, but anyway, uh, that would work too. But normally the sky is blue. Uh, and, and, but it's, it's a question, it's, a lot of times we use rhetorical questions in our discourse and we're being sarcastic, right? I, I don't think that Paul is being sarcastic. Your mileage may vary on that one. I've had people tell me that Paul was very sarcastic in his writings, but I don't want to go down that road today. But I think he's asking the question because he's trying to get us to think. And for us to think about how our faith and how the truth of God's word informs how we live and how we are living out our faith. And so he, he asked the question, because the what shall we say then, it definitely refers back to what we just looked at in chapter 5, where this idea of when, when the offense or the sin uh, increases, uh, grace abounds, superabounds, abundantly abounds uh, all the more. So how should we deal with the fact that God's grace is completely sufficient and this is where, it, to me, I find it always interesting because you have people who want license. They want liberty to the extent where they, 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 they look at verses like this and they consider it a license to go out and live any way they want to live. And I, I've thought about, I thought about this all week, actually, and, and it, it's interesting to me because some people... That, that, that they, when they gravitate, gravitate toward this idea of license, what they are really saying, although they would not admit it, that they really are not following Jesus, but they have really asked Jesus to follow them. Now, I'm talking about church people. I'm not talking about them out there. I'm not worried about them out there today. But, but, Church people that I've met who feel that they have such a license. Now, now you and I are going to disagree on those boundaries, aren't we? Yeah, we are. Okay, I got a couple of smiles and a few head nods. And, and, and um, you might be surprised about how much of liberty I think we are, are given. And, and we'll get into this in a minute. And, and sometimes we, we have differences about those boundaries that we want to contain within our lives. And the problem with those boundaries is that often do we, we want to imply them and apply them to our own lives, but we really find, well, if it's good for me, then it's good for you. And it's good for everybody else. And, and, and sometimes what happens then, we start to impose uh, a law on others where it really becomes a law of man and not the precepts of God. And Jesus warned us about that. And yet, there are those who, they, they, be, they, they want to take their liberty to such an extent, and, and they, they want their relationship with Jesus, and yet they still want to do whatever it is that they want to do. Now, not a show of hands, but I'm sure each and every one of us have things that we probably would like to do, that we could get away with, um, we might not want the rest of you to know about it, but because of our walk with Jesus Christ, we don't do those things. 
of the looks on your face is kind of like, don't, don't tell me I don't do, yeah, anyway, never mind. <laughs> the view up here is fun, is fun by the way. I, I, I don't know if you've ever noticed that. But anyway, but, but it, this idea of, of wrestling with my boundaries and, and some who don't have boundaries, seem to not have boundaries at all. And I think when we don't have boundaries, again, we want that religiosity of our lives. We want to go to church. We want to sometimes read the Bible. Maybe even occasionally throw up a prayer or two. But we're really not interested in the discipleship that Jesus gave us in Luke chapter 9 when he said, if any man come after me, let him take up his cross daily, deny himself, and to follow him. We want Jesus to follow us. It's almost like the plastic Jesus on the dashboard. Remember those? And some of you guys that are younger, this is a history lesson for you. Uh, back in the 60s, now don't think hippie 60s. Think conservative. Think happy days 60s, okay? Uh, I used to see a lot of people with Je- these plastic Jesus on their dashboard as if that was going to be some kind of a token or something to keep them from getting an accident. Matter of fact, it was uh, a country western song. He wrote a song about it called Plastic Jesus. I, yeah, Google it, all right? But... Uh, I almost want to sing the song to you, but I won't, okay? Um, but, but it's like you want to compartmentalize your life. I'm going to take Jesus along with me in these areas and that, uh, those areas, and when things get tough, believe me, you're going to hear from me. But I'm okay with this idea of sin abounding and that grace abounding even more. And Paul is saying to that person, far from it, how shall we who died to sin still live in it? In other words, still practice it. Still it becoming a part of their lifestyle. Now remember, Paul is writing to the Romans. Without going into a lot of detail here, because I don't want to take up a lot of time in this, but they were a very pagan society. I'll just leave it at that, okay? They, they, they basically took Greek paganism, uh, Greek hedonism, and they changed all the words from Greek to Latin, and they took on that culture, all right? So, but what are we to do with this abounding grace? I think that's the big question here that we need to ask, Because it tells us in verse 21 of chapter 5 is that grace reigns through righteousness. Grace reigns through righteousness. And and, and this idea of, of being righteous, and it's a very full word, and it has to do with being just, but it also has to do with the entirety of our natures and our actions being conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. So it is, it, is, it is a positional thing. We talked about this a little bit on Wednesday, didn't we, Ken? It is a positional thing where, where we are seen as righteous before God. Remember I talked about the change of status from unrighteous to righteousness that we looked at in chapter 5? It is a positional thing, but it is also a sanctifying, ongoing thing that thank God I am more righteous today than I was a few years ago, and thank God I'm a more righteous person today than I was 30 years ago, and I know I've got a long ways to go. And so what? So do you. Anyway, so we're all on the same page here today, okay? 
Grace reigns through righteousness. And so we have been called to walk in righteousness. Up to the t- this point in chapter 6 in the book of Romans, Paul has used the word righteousness 15 times. In the entire book, he uses the word righteousness a total of 30 times. Now, what I find to be interesting here is that you have often this idea of grace and righteousness being coupled together. Up from chapter 1 through chapter 6, Paul has used the word grace 10 times, and he will use the word grace another 10 times throughout the rest of the chapter, a total of 20 times. So these themes are very important in this book. And remember, uh, we have to view what we're looking at here in Romans 6 6 based on what we have read in Romans 1 through 5. Now, we don't have the time to start at the very beginning, but I think one of the key places that we want to look at is in Romans chapter 5, verse 10, where it says, For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, much more having been reconciled, we will be saved by his life or saved in his life. The New King James, I believe, says saved through his life. But the preposition that is used there uh, would be accurately translated saved in his life. Remember I talked about this, I think about three or four Sundays ago, where, where this idea that as we are found in him, this idea of this mysterious union that we have when G- with Jesus Christ because we have been born again of the Spirit and now we have this union with him. We are found in him. He just isn't an accessory that we put on, but the fact is, is that he has brought us into his life. He has brought us into his being. We, we are his. And of course, Paul tells the Corinthians that we've been bought and we have been paid for with the price of the blood of Jesus Christ, which is what we recognize when we take communion. So, if sin abounds, should we continue in sin so that grace would abound even more? And, and of course, this is saying, of course not. Now, interesting that phrase, shall we continue, it's future tense. It's future tense. It's talking about your life from the next moment forward. Are you going to live your life from this moment on abounding in sin so that grace might abound even more? Because, and I know some of you are probably not going to agree with me on this, and as I love to say, your mileage may vary, but what I'm hearing and reading in these chap- the, the, this little portion is that in reality, yes, if your sin increases... The grace of God, if you are born again of the Spirit, the grace of God will abound even more. But why would you want that type of grace in your life? Why would you want to continue in sin and and to, to live a life that is contrary to your new nature? How shall we who died to sin still live in it? See, that, that's an important question that Paul asks in verse 2 because it, it, it's there to prompt us to realize, well, wait a minute. If I have died to sin and I am now alive to Christ and if I'm going to live in sin, am I not living contrary to my new nature? I think the obvious answer to that is yes. 
And no wonder why some Christians, none here of course, but no wonder why some Christians have such a conflict in their life. Because they may not drink, they may not smoke, they may not dance, they may not chew, they may not go with girls who do. I got it right this time. Thanks, Daniel. They may not do all those externals that we like to either talk about how we have victory over or we like to talk about how they do it and we don't. We may not have those externals in life, but what about those interior sins in our lives that we just love to hang on to? I remember hearing a story, I've told you this before, a couple of pastors got together and, and, and they were talking about those sins that they, they're still hanging on to. Believe it or not, pastors do it. As I've told some of you, of course, some of you haven't heard this before, but my goal in life is to get out of the pastor section of heaven, okay? All right, so, all right, I want to go, I want to be in general population. I don't want to be with the pastors, man, they're, anyway. But three pastors get together, and they are confessing their sins that they just don't want to get uh, let go of. And, and the first pastor says, okay, I'm going to go first, and I'm going to tell you I'm having a problem with lust, and I lust all the time, and it's driving me crazy, and you guys just need to pray for me. And the two pastors just sat there, and they shook their heads. So the second pastor says, okay, well, I, I'm going to go next, and I've got a problem with alcohol, and every night I have to drink quite a bit to be able to go to sleep, and I struggle with that, and would you please pray for me? And they shook their heads. And the third pastor says, you know what? I have a problem with gossip, and I just can't wait to get out of here and go tell somebody. So, you know, uh, I love that, you know. And, and uh, we have those interior sins that we don't want to let go of. We all have them. You know what they are. Look at the ceiling, Mike. You, we all know what they are. Some of them we don't even know they exist. But this, I believe, is the type of sin that, yes, that is it, as it increases in your life, that the grace of God does abound and it does cover you. But, but do you want to continue in these things? Do, it's talking about this being a future tense. Or, or do you want to be in a place where you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness and therefore make us put, uh, 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 sanctifies in such a way that we are again righteous even though we are still what positionally righteous did I lose anybody I almost lost myself okay we're positionally I believe but once we're saved we're saved all right that's my opinion your mileage may vary and I'll pray for you but but I believe that once we are saved we are saved uh, although there's still a few verses in the Bible that make me a little nervous. Okay, I'll just go there. But if you have died to sin and that death to sin was your identification with Christ because his death became your death. And, and that's part of that union. When he died on the cross from your sin, the Bible tells us even further in this chapter that we died with him. And then guess what? He resurrected, which means what? We will resurrect someday. We sang about it earlier. And, and so 
if we have this incredible grace, and we do, and what, what do I mean when I say grace? I mean a lot of things, probably more things than I can probably even explain. But it, but it has to do with, with, with the way that God sees us, with the way that God relates to us. It has to do with, with being in this place of favor with God. It has to do, I think, with this idea of grace is, is not only God's feelings toward us, but the way he acts toward us. You know, I don't know how else to say this, so this is going to come out kind of stupid. But anyway, I'd rather receive God's grace because I'm being a good boy rather than being a bad boy. Ever thought of that? I'd rather receive God's grace because I'm walking in truth and I'm trying to honor him and I'm trying to love him and I'm trying to serve him rather than just being this rebellious kid who I still want to get into heaven, but I want to do whatever in the world I want to do. In other words, how do you want to spend your future here on earth? Which will, I believe, and I'm not going to get into this this morning other than making mention of it, I believe it will affect our eternity. Like I said, part of my goal is to get out of the pastor section, okay? So, um, I want to invest in my eternal future but the thing is why should we focus on living a good godly life i think that's that that the question is to me just lifts off the page here why should we focus on living a good godly life if we're going to get saved and end up in heaven anyway ever thought of that i think of it all the time actually it's like why am i doing this anyway but and I'll give you some reasons. I'm not going to give you all the reasons. We'll be here till four. Okay. But I'll give you a few reasons, all right? Why would we not continue in sin that grace might increase? First of all, all things are lawful. Not all things are profitable. That's number one. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12. It says, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. This is the New King James. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. I will not be brought under the power of any. The 95 edition of the New American Standard says, I will not be mastered, which refers to control. I will not be mastered by anything. So all things are lost, lawful according to what Paul told the Corinthians. Now, I think we have to even hold into context those all things that, that you have to qualify that. I'm not going to take the time to do that. There are other passages in the Bible that clearly say thou shall not. I'm thinking the Ten Commandments, for example. I'm thinking the Beatitudes, for example. But anyway... In a general sense, I think that's how Paul is speaking here in 1 Corinthians 6. All things are lawful, but they're not all profitable. 
They are not, and 1 Corinthians 10, 23 actually says that. All things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. I found it interesting that Paul had to tell the Corinthians that twice in the first letter. Why? Because they lived like Romans. I'll leave it at that. But they were a very pagan culture. So, while all things may be lawful, not all things that we do have a sense of profit. Not all things that we do have a sense of value. In other words, those things that we do that have no value, Paul tells, I think it's 2 Corinthians, Paul talks about them being wood, hay, and stubble, that they will be burned at the judgment seat of, uh, uh, of Christ. Those things that, that we do that are just, really have no no spiritual, no eternal consequence. They're just going to get burned up. So I can engage myself into certain things in my life, but it doesn't mean I'm going to profit from them. And boy, I could pick on TV and have a great time for the next three and a half minutes, but I'm going to just say that and let it go. How's that? How do you spend your leisure time? The reality is that's your business, Okay. But what do you do in your leisure time? Are you investing in your eternal uh, destiny? All things are lawful, but they're not all profitable. That would be one reason why we would not want sin to continue so that grace might even increase. But what's interesting about this is that in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, it, where I said all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. And all things are lawful, but not all things edify. Not all things build up. Do you realize what the, the intent behind, written behind that? It, sometimes I think we, we look at these things and we think that God is a cosmic killjoy. And he doesn't want us to have any fun. He doesn't want us to have any form of indulgence, and he just wants us to go to church and sit up straight and sing, you know, sing songs and, and, and then have a five-minute break and come back in and do it all over again. And I think that's, that's somehow we get that, that, that thinking in our head that God is this cosmic killjoy, but the reality is that when we look at verses like this, do we understand that this is an indication of God's desire for us? that he desires our profit, that he desires our building up, our edification in the, in the faith, that the Father really does know, know best, and he knows what will really bless us, he will knows what re- really will satisfy us, and he knows what really will be an investment in our eternal future. Second of all, Our identity is found in Christ. Due to time, I'm not going to read it. It's a pretty familiar verse, but 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 through 17 says that we are a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. We are a new creation, which means we are called, guys, to live on a different paradigm. Being in the world, excuse me, I always get those confused too. Yes, being in the world but not of the world. 
We're called to live differently. We are called because we have been born again in the Spirit. We have this grace of God that has been given to us, I believe, innately, spiritually, where we have a different value system. We have different, we have a different uh, a code of ethics. We have, we have different virtues. The problem is, is that we still have the fleshly nature that we live with day in and day out. We'll look at that in Romans chapter 7, by the way. So we're getting to that. So we do have this conflict between the, the flesh and the spirit. But our identity is found in Christ. Again, as I mentioned this earlier, Romans chapter 5, verse 9, that we, we are saved in his life. Uh, Ephesians chapter 1 and part of chapter 2 uh, talks over and over again about being in him. I think it's about 65 times that Paul uses the phrase in him in his letters. That's important to take note of. Our identity is in Jesus. Our identity is not in the 5 o'clock news. Whether it's CSN's uh, ESPN, bless you, um, I don't even know the rest of them. I don't watch a whole lot of television, so that I, I can't help you on that. Who is informing your identity? See, if you're born again in the Spirit, you have that new identity, but are you feeding that identity? Are you sowing to the things of the Spirit, or are you sowing to the things of the flesh? We've also gone from darkness to light. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8 says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light. Now, no, notice it says, it did not say, For you were once in darkness, but now you are in light in the Lord. It says, For you were once darkness. There's no preposition there. You were darkness. We were darkness. But now we are light. In the Lord. There is that change that has taken place from darkness to light. And so we're called to walk as children of light. Also, Jesus tells us in John chapter 8 verse 12, it says, Jesus spoke to them again saying, I am the light of the world and he who follows me shall not walk in darkness but have the light of life. In other words, if you want to walk in, uh, in light and have the light of life, we are to follow him, not invite him to try to follow us. Change of identity. Thirdly, no one can serve two masters. I'm running out a little bit, run out of time, so I'm going to kind of rush through these a little bit. No one can serve two masters. In, in, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, Jesus says exactly that, and he also tells us you cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon is a symbol or a, a, a false deity of what? Money. Why can we not serve God and money? Money represents... Now, okay, let me back up. Do you need money to eat? You need money to pay your rent, your mortgage, your gas bill, your automobile insurance. I know God knows we can't live without one of these, right? Okay, um, so we all need money, all right? So it, it, 
I, I think we have to hold some of these things in context. But money is a representation of, of this idea of, 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 of avarice, of greed. Especially when, when it is uncontrolled where we want more and I want more and I want more and I want more. You ever meet people like that? Of course you have. We all have. And it is the ultimate expression of the indulgence of and the serving of the fleshly nature instead of walking in the spirit. That's why I believe that's where Jesus gave us this contrast between I'm either going to walk with God, I'm going to follow him, or if I'm going to serve mammon, that means I'm not going to follow the Lord and I'm going to fulfill my own indulgences. I, I think that's why these two are, are brought in contrast. Because I don't think it's a sin to be rich. The reality is probably all of us, or most of us maybe, I'll go with all of us. Most of us, all of us in this room are richer than most of the world. Definitely most, uh, more than the third world. Water. We can't serve two masters. Because when we decide that we are going to increase in sin, consciously or unconsciously, probably unconsciously, because how many woke up, show of hands, how's that? How many woke up this morning and said, I'm going to go see how much I can sin today? That's exactly what I thought. Nobody thought that. I didn't. I would hope not anyway. But we make those decisions subconsciously, unconsciously. Have you been in the heat of the moment and you hear the Spirit of God saying, don't say that, don't do that? And you're like, oh, I don't want to not do it. I want to do it. You know, and I, I, I really want to unload in this person. God's like saying, no, you better wait. You better be quiet. Those type of conflicts that we have in our lives that you and I experience each and every day and we will experience them each and every day for the rest of our lives. That is why we are to take every thought obedient to the captivity of Christ. Which is a whole lot easier for me to say than for us to live. But that's, that's what we've been called to do. No one can serve two masters. You're going to love one and hate the other. It's part of what Jesus said also in Matthew 6. And that causes a person who becomes very conflicted. And has a lot of internal turmoil. Which again, we're going to read all about next chapter in Romans 7. Fourthly, last one. Have you ever considered that living a godly life is really an invitation to live in and walk in God's grace? John 10, verse 10. I've got to back up to verse 7. 
It says, Then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. He's talking about false messiahs here. Okay. I am the door, and if anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. You see, when we go full-blown abandonment of indulgence in sins, knowing that grace will abound, we also open ourselves up to the thief who will come in to kill and to steal and to destroy. And the good shepherd is a trying to spare us from those heartaches by creating an invitation for us to walk in his grace. Because he says here, I have come, verse 10, Jesus saying, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. I looked it up. It's a slightly different word than what we have here in Romans, okay? But it's the same idea. Jesus has set before us an invitation that we might have life and to have it more abundantly. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 19 tells us, Paul is praying here and he says that we would know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. Boy, that's something to think about. Knowing the love of Christ that passes knowledge. In other words, that's something that you get to the point where you know, you experience it, you understand it, you sense it, you feel it, but you cannot explain it. That we would know the love of Christ that passes knowledge and that we may be filled with all the fullness of God. That you and I would be filled with all the fullness. He's using the word twice. This idea of filling like the, like the wind that fills the sail of a sailboat. That we would be filled with all the fullness of God. Do you see in that God's invitation to you? Do you ever think about that? Read it this way. Do do you ever read this as a love letter from God to you? Do you ever read this as an invitation? I like getting invitations. Nobody sends invitations anymore. You know, you get an email maybe, but that's okay. But I remember as a kid, I used to love to get invitations in the mail. Do you realize that God is inviting you into a greater fullness than what you are currently experiencing? Even if you are off the charts, abounding in God's grace and not having sin increase in your life, he is still inviting you in so that you would be filled with all the fullness of God. And when that becomes your purpose, I wanted to say goal, but I don't think goal works well. When that becomes your purpose, and what I mean by that, when that really becomes your heart's desire, then you're not going to have any room in your heart to really go out and sin with abandon. Although if you do, if you are a Christian, his grace still abounds even more. 
But the whole point of what Paul is saying here is why in the world would we want to? Colossians 1.9, with this I'm going to close. It says, for this reason we also, since the day we heard of it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Do you need more wisdom? Do you need more spiritual understanding? I don't know anybody who doesn't. See, what's not written in Romans 5 and 6 here is, again, this invitation for us to walk in the fullness of God. This invitation to allow ourselves to be just a little bit closer to him. See, he's already here. He's already close. But, but how much of him do we allow really to permeate and to penetrate not only our lives but our souls? And, and when that becomes our desire, this idea of sin or not sinning is not even, doesn't even enter into the equation for us. In other words, we look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. We don't look unto ourselves. And then we can be in that place that we can fully enjoy, fully be blessed, and fully walk in his grace. Because it abounds, whether we're in sin or not, but I'd rather it abound because I'm walking with him rather than, and, and I had, remember having this conversation with another guy recently. You know, we talked about guardian angels, okay, fictitiously, but anyway, and, and I believe that they're, they're, that probably is the case. But I'm sure I made a few guardian angels work overtime in my life. I know some of you have as well. But wouldn't we rather have that different focus on not sinning, but just on loving the Lord and walking with him and, and receiving that which he has from us. Amen.